Welcome back. I'm Shane McClelland. I'm Lori Gum. And these are the Q Files. We all know the story. Well, at least most of us do. Many non-religious secular people of my age learned it this way. Let my people go. Slaves are mine. Their lives are mine. All that they own is mine. I do not know your God. Nor will I let Israel go. Who are you to make their lives bitter in hard bondage? Man shall be ruled by law, not by the will of other men. Yes, Charlton Heston as Moses and Yul Brenner as Ramses in the 1956 film The Ten Commandments. Back in my day, it was obligatory viewing at Easter time, as it was only broadcast once a year on one of the then three national stations. My family and I would sit and watch it together, annually awestruck by the enormity and magical elements of the Cecil B. DeMille epic cinematic tale. My generation would come to know the story this way. The Prince of Egypt, the 1998 American animated musical drama film produced by DreamWorks Animation. And yes, there were lots of songs. And then there was another perspective to the story that began long before films or television, born deeply within the notion of resistance. just as the civil rights movement was about to explode with the brutal murder of Emmett Till and Rosa Parks' refusal to go to the back of the bus. African-American communities in the U.S. would find a particular attraction and kinship to this story. The narrative, of course, fit their very own history and experience. The desire and absolute determination to be led out of brutal slavery into the promised land of freedom. Zora Neale Hurston, the African-American author, would write the book, Moses, Man of the Mountain. In this 1939 novel, based on the familiar story of the Exodus, 
Hurston blends the Moses of the Old Testament with the Moses of Black folklore, using African-American vernacular and song to create a compelling allegory of power, redemption, and faith. Let my people go. However, some 300 years before, John Winthrop, who helped found and then govern the Puritan Massachusetts Bay Colony starting in 1630, would also claim a right to the Exodus story, stating that the Puritans fleeing Europe were just like the Israelites who had fled Egypt to be able to worship the God of their faith. Winthrop's city on the hill would soon become much more representative of the Egyptian oppressors than the Hebrew refugees, as a young America systemically dispossessed its indigenous people and then welcomed and profited from the transatlantic slave trade. But the actual biblical story of Exodus, or the flight of the Israelites from the bondage of Egypt, is central and foundational to the three Abrahamic religions, Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. The tale goes, well, something like this. Abraham, the so-called father of these very first monotheistic religions, first Judaism, settled in Canaan, a Semitic-speaking civilization and region in the ancient Near East during the late second millennium BC. Much of this region would become known as Israel in biblical and even modern times. Abraham, as it is written, was the first man to which God, or Yahweh, revealed himself and was chosen to be the recipient and proponent of the first intimate bond between humans and a single God. Most civilizations at the time, including Egypt, were polytheistic or, in other words, worshipped many gods. Abraham would father two sons, Ishmael and Isaac. Ishmael, being the son of Abraham's concubine or slave, Hagar, was cast into the wilderness with his mother upon the birth of his so-called legitimate son, Isaac. Sent away with only small rations of food and water, Hagar and Ishmael were miraculously saved from dying of thirst by an angel. And here is where we start to diverge. Islam would claim heritage from the abandoned Ishmael, while Judaism would claim parentage via Isaac. Ishmael is recognized by Muslims as the ancestor of several northern prominent Arab tribes and the forefather of Adnan, the ancestor of Muhammad. Isaac would father Jacob, or Jacob, continuing with Yahweh's monotheistic covenant through his son. Well, actually, he had two sons, twins, and Esau, Jacob's brother, popped out first, becoming in only a matter of seconds the firstborn. Now... It was said that Esau was a hairy man, and in time Isaac also went blind. So when it came time for Isaac to issue his blessing of the covenant upon his firstborn, Jacob covered himself with fur skins, or in other words, a hair suit. Hair suit? Get it? Hair suit? Hair suit? I thought that was pretty clever. Anyway, Isaac blind, thinking it was Esau, conferred the blessing onto Jacob, and he became the next patriarch literally by theft. Keep in mind, the Ten Commandments had not yet been issued from God, so I guess stealing was A-OK in those days. Nevertheless, times grew hard in Canaan as drought hardened the land and many starved. Jacob took the long trek with his family, including 12 sons into the land of Egypt, where the climate was much more conducive to farming and raising sheep. He found a productive life there, and, as luck would have it, 
Through a series of serendipitous events, including his 11 brothers throwing him into a pit to die, his son, Joseph, yes, that Joseph of the amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat, would rise to the highest levels of Egyptian royalty, spurred by his prophetic ability to interpret the pharaoh's dreams successfully and advise him, resulting in a huge abundance of food and grain for the Egyptian people and saving them from famine. Joseph would only be second in power to the pharaoh. But when Joseph passed, so did all of the power afforded to him to protect his people. Within 200 years, the descendants of Abraham, now known as the Hebrews or Israelites, became slaves to the Egyptian pharaoh. There were so many of them that the pharaoh worried of a revolt. So he issued the decree that all Hebrew male children be murdered. And so it was that the Hebrew couple, Jochebed and Amron, took their three-month-old son and put him in a tiny ark made of reed stalks and cast him into the Nile River in hopes that someone, somewhere, would save him. And then here is where the plot thickens. The Pharaoh's daughter would find him and call him Moses, which means to pull out of the water. She would also adopt him. Like his great-great-grandfather Joseph, Moses was raised among Egyptian royalty and considered a son to the pharaoh. Moses would also have a brother, and historically, until very recently, that was believed to have been the pharaoh Ramses. But an adult Moses became aware of his origins and killed an Egyptian overseer who was beating a Hebrew slave, and then flees into Midian to escape punishment. Still in exile some 60 years later, as the story goes, Yahweh speaks to Moses as he is tending his sheep through the medium of a burning bush and says, Do not come any closer. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. And so, Moses reunites with his brother Aaron, who had stayed with his Hebrew family, and returns to Egypt and gathers the remaining Hebrew elders who were still serving as slaves. And then, our story picks up where we began. Moses goes before the Pharaoh and states, Let my people go. And he had some mighty weapons in his arsenal to make this happen. We have often talked about how surprising it is to us that many traditionally religious people seem to reject the notions of paranormal activity, like ghosts and their like. We have pointed out again and again that the entire Old Testament is composed of supernatural happenings, and in particular this story. And let's face it, when I was watching the Ten Commandments movie with my parents, we were always waiting on the plagues, the blood the frogs, the locusts. Honestly, that's what we're really here to talk about today. 
Historians, theologians, and archaeologists, and frankly most of us, have long categorized this story as myth. An inspiring one indeed, but nothing more than simple folklore. A story born out of the need to create religious and national identity. And it may well be. It would be the most rational of conclusions. But recent archaeological, geological, and climate experts propose that maybe, in the end, there was an actual cataclysmic event that might have actually been the basis for this lore. First of all, it seems maybe that the time frame of which most experts placed this potential real event were wrong. They placed it, of course, within the time frame of the Pharaoh Ramses, 1279-1213 BCE. But on further examination of newly found artifacts, it seems that might be incorrect. Instead, the reign of Amos I, 1550-1525 BCE, may be more accurate. And get this, Amos in Hebrew means brother of Moses. Maybe they're onto something here because this new time frame revision regarding the events of the Exodus changes everything, including a real natural event that could possibly explain those 10 darn deadly plagues. And so, as we often do, it doesn't get cold that blood sauce. We don't want to eat cold blood sauce. I don't know if I even want to eat blood sausage. <laughs> you know what? Um, God, I wish I could do some. Oh, God, I forgot the onions with the blood sausage. You have to have onions with the blood sausage. We decided to gather for dinner to discuss these most strange events of ancient times in a new light and together revisit all 10 plagues, plate by plate, bite by bite. So we're looking at our first entree. So we are going to go literally through the 10 plagues of Egypt, plate by plate, we found a food pretty much, well, eight out of the 10. And as we know, the very first plague, so when Moses goes to the Pharaoh and says, let my people go, the first thing he does is turn all of the water in Egypt to blood. Very dramatic. Very dramatic. Very visual. No one could miss it. Um, so we have blood sausage, locally made blood sausage, mind you, um, which is made of beef blood and beef tongue. <laughs> and I don't think Shane's ever had this before. I've not had it, and it looks like something you should not eat. So, mm-hmm. onion in this. Mm-hmm. All right. Now... Our blood sausage did explode on the grill. (laughs) That's good. It has a really great flavor. Flavor? The texture is. I think if it hadn't. Or something. I think if it hadn't exploded, it wouldn't be so clotty. (laughs) Maybe. But so that brings us to this issue of the 10 deadly plagues Mm -hmm. of Egypt. And we have discovered along the way that in the last 15 to 20 years, there has been some archaeological evidence that say... 
that, I mean that you know there's potential like historical proof that these were things that happened things that grew out of a cataclysmic global event and we have and we can start the tale of that right now we have a modern day precedent for this August 24th, 1984, in Cameroon, Lake Nios, called the Lake Nios disaster, suddenly one day, the lake turned blood red. Right, right. No explanation at all. No, no, nothing was noticeable before that happened. With that being the first plague, what was basically figured out, and we'll go through the plagues, because this starts off a chain reaction. Right. The latest archaeological evidence. So we had always dated the Ten Commandments, the, the, the plagues, Ramses, everything. Um, about 1200 BC. Mm-hmm. Well, if you back that up about 300 years to a pharaoh named Achmosis, Achmoses, about 1500, what happened during Akmosis' reign was the Minoan eruption. So it was a cataclysmic volcanic eruption on the island of Thera in Greece near Crete that is known as Santorini today. It was, scientists say, the equivalent of 50 Hiroshima's. Right, which is memorable. It is memorable. It was also a limnic eruption, which means that there is gas and CO2 escaping from the center of the earth that is gathered under the waters, often CO2 gathers. Right. So not only is it a volcano, but it is a gas eruption. The, the Lake Nios disaster is specifically described as a limnic yeah. Disaster, the limnic explosion. So you had all this stuff happening. So it basically blows Thera out of the water. The wind is traveling south. Mm-hmm. What's south of Thera? Egypt. Yeah, Egypt, yeah. Egypt. This was such a cataclysmic event. So the Nile Valley is on a tectonic plate. So, you know, northern Africa is on a tectonic plate. The Nile Valley is on a rift. Mm-hmm. So if you had this kind of cataclysmic eruption, it only makes sense that that, would erupt, that gas would have possibly done the same thing in Egypt. In Egypt, yeah. In Egypt. And so it might not have been blood, but it, w- it is CO2 or gas interacting with iron in, yeah, in the right, water. Right. So and it becomes deadly. It's oxidizing. Right. Right. Yeah. So it becomes deadly, but it's because this the it's still spreading, right? So like even when the the lake settles or whatever, it's still releasing this gas, um, which further spreads into like the houses. Absolutely. And the truth of the matter is, for a while, on a, in a limbic eruption, it says that the gas can. The water weight will keep the gas mm-hmm. down. And then 
another earthquake, something like that, unsettles this, and then all that gas erupts through the water right. um, and becomes, you know, when we start to look at the, the, the ten deadly plagues. Say, how far is that the next one down? Um, next one down is what we're going to eat now. Well, I meant in terms of, like, how we were discussing it. Like, so to, like, release the carbon monoxide from the lake. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which turns it red, <laughs> so we're there. Yeah. So this turns it red and makes all beings inhabit- uninhabitable. Now, so let's go back a little bit. So archaeologists and scientists are placing the time of the Exodus or this tale of the Ten Plagues in 1500 instead of 1250 mm-hmm. in the reign of Akmos. We've talked about this. What is fascinating about that? is the name in Hebrew means brother of Moses. And as we've talked about earlier in this episode, Moses was raised as the brother of Pharaoh, which we thought was Ramses. But now we have, his name is is brother of Moses. And not only that, but if we place it at that time, this is happening at the same time as the Minoan eruption in the volcano. And... The other really compelling evidence is that they dug up Akmosis's mummy in the the University of Cairo, Cairo Museum. Yeah. Not only did they find Akmosis, but they found, and we will get to this with the the, the killing of the firstborn children. Um, Akmosis's son died at 12 years old. Yeah. So there's very compelling evidence that if you change slightly change the time frame for the belief when these plagues happened, you have some pretty compelling natural explanations, which brings us to, I'm going to show it up, right? Yeah, I guess. Not really. I'm going to serve us up our next plague, which are, what are those? Some frog legs. Frog legs. Because what makes sense? The water has become contaminated. So all the all the things that can leave leave. And what are one of the few animals that can leave a lake? Amphibians. Amphibians, yeah. Chronologically, it makes absolute sense. So if the same thing that's happening, it's exactly what happened at Lake Nyos. Right, which to me is like the most compelling part, right? Like even if you don't believe, like, and I'm not saying we do, but like the historical accuracy of the Bible or something. Right. It's just a, you know. It, it happened. It happened. Like there, we, in modern times, we had a really similar situation and we're able to look at it through, you know, this like developed sense of science mm-hmm. and not superstition and to see it play out kind of, you know, like, like it did, but like also this account from, you know, 2000 years ago or whatever. Right. Well, more than that, but, um, in such a similar way is like, you know, this is probably what was going on. It's like the same story. Yeah. Like 1984. And it's one of the most documented disasters ever. Right. You can go on YouTube and see it and you see the lake and you see everything. Like it, it wasn't like a small situation that happened in like a remote village. Right. It was like 1,800 people died. No, I'll give you the actual number. It was 1,746 people died from this eventually. 
3,500 livestock. That's insane. That's what? a lot. That's not a small incident. No. But that's exactly, I guess, like, you know, a biblical occurrence. Right, right. Um, that's a biblical epic yeah, event. Right. <laughs> they just didn't have anybody screaming, let my people go. Right. Shane's going to have his first frog leg. <sighs> oh, you're just biting it off? Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. All right. They really do look like Lilliputians. And taste like chicken. chicken. <laughs> Little harissa on it? I can tell there was some harissa on it. Much better than the blood sausage. I'm not going to lie. Gotcha. <laughs> So here we have, let's, let's take the chronology of the, the plagues right now. So we've had the, the blood. Well, the red coloring of the water, which was presumed to be blood. Right. It only makes sense that the animals that can get away do. That would be frogs. So far, these plagues go in a natural, I mean by the natural world, like a natural chronology of what would happen if there was a volcanic or limnic explosion. It's like the natural progression of a disaster. Yes. Yes. And again, which it happened exactly like this in Naios. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I... Like, I mean, that gives... For me personally, I don't know. Um, and I know you too, but like, there's like... A lot of um, legitimacy to, I guess, like the story or whatever. But once you start framing it in a way that isn't... You know, like this higher power doing it, God doing it. Um, it starts to make so much more sense. Mm-hmm. You know, there's there's these gases that you can't see and you can't sense, you can't smell it, that are you know changing changing the water. Things are leaving the water, and then it's like it's like water. Next step is like close to the water, and then the next step is like further away. From it's on land now. It's like, on it's land. Like spreading. Yeah. It's this idea that I mean, it's a, it's it's the spreading of the plagues. It is. And, but then we say too, we go back to the fact that, is it possible, and I'm talking from, you know, possibly the angle of a omniscient cosmos as opposed to a deity, does God, mm-hmm. or this cosmos, work these miracles through natural means, as opposed to an out-and-out miracle, I've argued for years with creationists about the fact that if you want proof of God, evolution is the best proof you right. could ever have. It's the greatest algorithm. God's a master mathematician. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, is it a way to have these kind of incredible incidents that we, we label as miracles? But if God intervenes, does God intervene as a, you know, the hand of God coming down, or does God intervene as a potentially natural disaster. I guess in some ways there's like no distinction between them, right? Right. Like, it, you don't know. You don't know. Right. Um, and I think even the, you know, the, I'm blanking out, but the lake, whatever, that was in the 80s. Nios. Yeah. Nios. Yeah. Um, you know, like, even that, like, living through it as it's happening, it probably seems miraculous. Yes. Yes. Right. Right. Like, you, you might know now, right, that like, it's, Probably not God. Like this, some higher power is turning the lake a different color, right. or whatever, killing the cattle, right? But I'm sure it seems really strange. Yes. In the moment. Yes. 
And and this, this these weren't people looking to be liberated from their land. Right. These were people that would not see this as a miracle. They would see it as disaster. 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 Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. From just saying a, histor- a historical historically an Egyptian point of view yeah yes God's punishment God, not a miracle mm-hmm. it's a fine line between God's punishment and God's <laughs> right. miracles right right they might be the same damn thing sometimes well I mean I, I really even just like in this story it's you know from the Egyptians perspective they're all disasters yes they're all disasters <laughs> total disasters that's right that's exactly right so we are. We have gone through plague number one: water turning to blood. Plague number two: frogs. Number. We're gonna put number three and four together. Okay. Lice and flies. Now. Bugs. Let's think about this in the chronology of Lake Nyos. Same thing happened. Water goes bad. All the fish die. Frogs climb out. Why would there be flies and lice now with all of this dead? I mean, obviously, like, everything in the water is dying. Right. Right. But also, I think if you think about it as kind of like a migration of predator and prey, all mm. these frogs are leaving the water in pushing insects. A very, very good point. much more towards people. Yes. Right? Yes. Like, if the water is all weird and smelly, there's probably not too many people there. But now all of a sudden there's like bugs in your house that aren't normally there. Because that's there's a very good there is there those frogs are pushing that. And there's probably more of them because of the dead fish mm-hmm. in the water. Um yeah. be like drawn in and pushed out. So that's the next plague that makes not only absolute sense, but it happened. But yeah, like it happened. It happened. So we have honored this um <laughs> Lice and flies plague with some little, little crawfish. Wild Egyptian crawfish. You ever had crawfish? I don't think I've ever had crawfish. So, two big things. So, you just pull the back off out of the head. Okay. Okay. Oh, you cook these perfectly. Then you split them okay. like a shrimp. The bottom of the just take it out of the tail it's a lot of work for a little bit of meat and then when you get to this point you can probably just pull it out just it's almost like a shrimp but a harder shell and yeah they have that generally speaking weird shrimp taste it's a very sweet meat now the best part is what you do next is mm-hmm. Take the head. The body, right? Squeeze it. Ah, there's not too much juice in it right now, but. Yeah, I don't think. I think we waited too long for juice. Yeah, I think we waited too long for juice, too. It's a very sweet meat. Yeah. This is the kind of thing like, you know how you sit down with potato chips in front of a movie? Or sunflower seeds, mm-hmm. like. Oh, look at that! Look at that! That's exactly. That's there you go. Mm. Like a little baby lobsters. Yeah. Here's what I think, and one of the reasons I got these for our dinner was, not only have historians um, reevaluated 
the oh I did it again perfect why wow. do I always end up on the struggle bus with our food and you're like look how great I am <laughs> not only are they re uh, looking at the time frame and and moving the time frame to to, mm -hmm. to look at this um, these plagues they're also looking at the so that traditionally we think the parting of the Red Sea was the Red Sea we've seen it in Ten Commandments right. Moses well in Hebrew in the Bible it's referred to as Yom Suf Yom Suf for years got <clears throat> translated into the Red Sea truth of the matter is Suf means reeds Mm -hmm. Reeds don't grow in salt water, so more right. than likely, it was a lake that they crossed, not right. the Red Sea. So I thought, in my own crazy, wacky mind, that these little crayfish that grow in fresh water just might be descendants, because these are Egyptian wild crayfish, just might have been descendants of going, oh, what the hell's happening? Yeah. I mean, imagine being a animal in the water when that shit happened. <laughs> but you know, and when you think of that in terms of that, you know, now it's not salt water, it's like fresh water that was and just, so many of these things changed the entire perspective of this play, these For plagues. Sure. For sure. Um, and it also, especially if we're doing a lake and we're talking about the lice and the flies and the frogs sort of chasing them out, it also makes it Instead of sort of an epic consideration, you start to think about it as a local ecosystem. Yeah. With a lake. Yeah. It's just totally wreaking havoc on all of the civilizations around it. As it would, right? Yes, that's exactly right. As it would. And I think mythologically, in the story, even in the Bible, it is that catastrophic. It is that catastrophic right. to a community. It's that catastrophic to the world around them. Just, just much more exemplified by. Right, but I also think like the like the telling of the story, kind of whether you believe it factually or not, right? Right. Is this idea that it has to be a story, so there has to be main characters, and there has to be points, but really it's like this commemoration of an event that was probably really horrible to live through. Mm -hmm. Good point. And you know, I mean, but like the, 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 that's a lot of our like mythological stories are like, even if they're you know more more recent kind of mythology stuff. It's like how to survive hard times. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. We talked about earlier tonight on the porch. Every culture has a flood story, whether it's mm -hmm. Noah, whether it's Gilgamesh. You know, right. the, those cultures are interpreting those catastrophic natural events and, you know, making the story pertinent to mm -hmm. their culture. Right. It really is, which yeah. is fascinating. I mean, the No story is very different than the Gilgamesh story for what it what it represents. Right. I mean, it really does. So, um, so next is I'm very excited about this. I'll let you get this out of the oven. Oh um, so this is our first, second, third, fourth, fifth. This is our fifth plague: livestock pestilence. Yes. And what I'm going to say is, if you look into the history of this, um, biblically, so all of the livestock of the Egyptians died, what predominantly affected them the most was, sure, their cattle, which, you know, 
they did not eat meat. They relied on that for milk and, and, and whatever. But it killed their camels. So what do we have here, Shane, that you cooked? We have some camel meatballs. Camel. Camel balls. Camel balls. I have to say, I have never in my life tasted ground camel. Ground camel. I haven't either, but they're still pretty warm. Good. Still, that's why they were steaming when I took the the lid off. I hope they taste good. I don't know. I mean, you seasoned them. I just fried them. Yeah, I put a little <laughs> coriander sumac, some pepper, uh, Egyptian spices. Um, so, oh, they're, they're pink and the good cooking shape. Perfect. Yeah, nice, nicely cooked. Oh yeah, nicely no, 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 no. cooked. Yeah, very nice. This is a good meatball. This is a good meatball. Ready? Guess. I mean, they're good. They taste like meat. Well, that's amazing. That's really good. Yeah. It's amazing how non-different meat tastes. That's what it tastes like meat. You know, like, if I just gave you camel meatballs, you'd be like, these are normal meatballs. I would say this tastes like... If you fed this to me and asked me what it was, I would guess it was maybe a combination of beef and pork. Maybe. It's got a dab of a sausage taste to it. Just a dab. But that could be the... I did um, spice it. So spices. Texturally, it's an all-beef meatball. Texturally, it's an all-beef meatball. Well, I'll tell you what, I'm sure as hell not worried about getting marooned somewhere and eating a camel now. No. Camel's really good. You should try camel. To our listeners, you should try camel. <laughs> it's worth it. I'm just shocked. I, I thought mean, it would taste gamey or different or... I figured it'd be one of those things where you're like, well, I ate that once. It wasn't for me. But no, this tastes... I, it tastes fine. It tastes normal. And have you ever smelled a camel? I mean, not... I have a camel story. Of course you do. So when they stink, I guess I'm assuming. When I was in when I was in Israel, staying at this Palestinian hotel, and decided to go into the west to, to visit the west, you know Whaling Mall. Bus picks us up. Mm-hmm. We go. It stops at a camel riding side. It's on the side of the road. Like, you can take a ride on a camel. Mm-hmm. Bus stops there for some reason. We all get off. There is the most pathetic... This camel's laying on the ground. In the dust. You can literally see the dust coming in and out of his nostrils. He's breathing. <laughs> no. So, but flies on his eyes. This camel's dying. This camel was moaning. Seriously. Like, yeah. so... Obviously, we didn't ride the camel. We get back on the bus. We go to the Whaling Mall. This is the Western Mall. We have, I waited my whole life to go to the, the Whaling Mall. The idea is you can put a prayer in the crack and yeah. a piece of paper in the crack. Why? Well, since I, I knew I was going to Israel for like a year, all my prayers I planned, blah, blah, blah. <clears throat> you know why I ended up sticking into the Whaling Mall? A little camel. 
<laughs> said, please take mercy on yeah. this camel. And we went back, driving back, it was gone. I don't know what happened. But in hindsight, I've thought about, I had my big moment <laughs> to be able to stick any prayer into the wailing wall. <laughs> and I, I did put in a prayer to take mercy on this horribly suffering camel. And then we went on to Egypt, and then, you know, they would let you ride the camels around the pyramids yeah. or whatever. I'm like, I'm not getting them. Stop riding camels. Stop riding camels. Start eating camels. <laughs> Right. You know what else is good? This rice. Rice is that uh, good? What is that one again? Frika. 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 I don't know why I can't remember that, but it's very pleasant. And again, it's a it's a it's a it's like an emmer wheat, a mm-hmm. wild wheat that is picked it's when it's green, yeah, and toasted. It it's it, it it's fantastic. It is the Frika people. Frika Frika Frika, F R E E K A H. It is the superfood, and and nutritionally, you can look at it. It's just yeah. out of this world. And that was really in <clears throat> from Persia through the Middle East. To Egypt, this this was the the wild wheat, you know. And so there's really no doubt that ancient know, like, Egyptians and you know Israelites ate frika. You know, there's no yeah. there's no doubt there's no doubt about it. I think the camel balls are giving the frog legs run for the money. I'm kind of with you there. I'm kind of with you there. Frog legs are very good. But that's only because. We haven't gotten to our later plagues yet. That's true. That's true. Later plagues are even better. Plague number six is boils. I had planned to cook corn. There's a Mexican word for it. It's corn smooch. Yeah. Yeah. It's a boil on corn. Mm -hmm. It's delicious. I got some last year, but it rotted in my freezer. So we don't really have a food for boils. And hail, well, we just had some ice, so we kind of did hail. But again, let's think in order of, of this happening naturally. Specifically when they're talking about the volcano and the Minoan eruption. Mm-hmm. Because it was limited to these particles shot eight miles in the air. So what happened was it attracted the moisture up there. Ice froze around it. By the time it landed and bounced and cracked, there was fire in it. Mm-hmm. If you look at the plague in, in Exodus, it's about hail that's filled fire. with fire. Yeah, and like like we know this now, right? That like volcanoes cause hail. Yes. But also that it can be on fire. Yes. Which sounds completely terrifying that's and something right. that you would be like, well, God did that. Right. Like flaming ice. And that's exactly what it is, is flaming ice. And when it hits, it breaks the ice, and then that, that, that you know, that core has not cooled mm-hmm. down yet. Boom, you have another perfectly natural explanation for, for, yeah. for this. They found, from Thera, the Minoan eruption, they, they found the pumice and the ash in the ice core in the Arctic. Right. That's how far yeah. it went. So then, 
we have, you know, we so we've gone from livestock pestilence with our camel boils. It only makes sense of the flies and the lights, and now this is in the air. Mm-hmm. It only makes sense that w- people would have boils, um, and then you have this hail. The pestilence get, didn't give people boils. Just the heat of the air, everything that the hail would give people boils on their body. So it could be from disease, or it could be from falling ash. Yeah, the the, the ash, the dirt, and the the, the changes in temperature. The, the I don't I don't like think of a pimple right. and any like random thing and give you a pimple. That's right. But imagine being covered in ash and I don't know hot ash, hot ash, yes. and whatever else was in the air, like gas wise or whatever, like. And then all these bugs. And all this lice. Yeah. Boils would seem a natural consequence. For sure. Of all of this. All of this. So, we've explained water turning to blood, frogs, lice, flies, livestock pestilence, boils, hail, and now, my favorite. <laughs> I'm nervous. You know what my favorite plague is. You must know. <sighs> what would you guess? Probably boils. I don't know. Well, boils is my favorite, just, just from an aesthetic point of view. Just the aesthetics of boils. Um, I think I'm just totally <laughs> down with that. Um, so. I'm assuming these are like locusts or something. Yeah. So locusts, you know, are next, which only makes sense. The frogs are coming, and now, so this. Locusts can travel in swarms of 40 and 50 million insects. Well, they're being driven from the air by the ash and the hail. Mm -hmm. It only makes sense that they're going to land. Again, this is the next plague. Only makes sense as to why locusts are dropping out of the air. Right, yeah. Only makes sense. I mean, they... they Totally rational plague. Yeah, they, they travel in kind of like a... Like a migration, anyway. correct? That's right. So, like, they're already in a swarm, kind of thing. That's right. That's right. So, what we have here is curry grasshoppers, Shane. Okay, this can't. They're smaller than the scorpion you made me eat. So, oh, I got like a tiny one. Wait, are they all that size? Probably yes. big. Sorry. Mm-hmm. This isn't Shane's first time at bugs, so. It's not, and I, I know bugs are gross, and like you're not supposed to eat them, and blah blah blah. blah. But that's a, that's a big one. But if you ever do, get one that's kind of flavored. Just do it. Don't think about it, and you'll be like, "Wow, that's kind of like eating a potato chip," because it's just crunchy, light, and it flavored. Is. It is. Easiest thing to eat of all. It's true. We eat bugs all the time. I now. I have a little surprise for Shane. Because I eat so many bugs, I actually have a bug supplier. Of course you have a bug supplier. (laughs) People have drug dealers, I have bug suppliers. (laughs) They sent me some God, those are big. Mopani worms. Those are huge. They are 
That's like two inches long. They are <laughs> Imperial Mark Larva. And then crunchy. Shane, I saved this for you and I. I've never had a Mopani <laughs> worm either. They this is a they can't be gooey. common snack in Zimbabwe. I have some other little ones, but these are... Ready? I guess. Less crunchy than I was expecting. <laughs> They're jerky-like. Yeah. Still the same kind of like... You know what they have to this? What they taste like? I was gonna say the crawfish. Yes! Okay. It tastes like seafood. Yeah, so when we were eating the crawfish, I was like, yeah, they have that, like, shrimp flavor, but so do these. Like, it's very much the same, like... So do these? Mm-hmm. If you would hand this to me and it's not like tell me, I would think it was some kind of dried seafood. Mm-hmm. And, like, I guess to, like, explain this to people, it has that, like, dry meatiness of jerky where you kind of have to, like, chew it a little longer... Mm-hmm. Right? But the flavor is of some kind of, like, shellfish thing. Absolutely. I have had a Very lot... Very I don't... I, I've had a lot of insects. That was good. I have never tasted one that tasted like seafood like this. Now, they say cicadas. Yeah. Shrimp of the dirt. Yeah. I got... You see, you did a I ate my own cicadas, 50 of them. Mm -hmm. Didn't taste like this. Um, so, darkness is the next one, mm -hmm. obviously. Makes perfect sense, especially in the Minoan eruption in 1500. By the time all of that ash follows, everything that's already happened, it makes perfect sense that finally the ash and the pumice and everything travels and, and creates darkness. Yeah, blocks out the sun. Blocked out the sun. Totally makes sense. Totally makes sense. So all of the plagues we've hit so far mm -hmm. make total natural sense. Yeah. In in relation to looking at a volcanic and limnic eruption at Thera or yeah. Santorini. Yeah. So the last one is, and this is one of my favorite stories. That's 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 terrible to say. One of the most astounding stories is the killing of the firstborn. Um, yeah. That's what finally makes Pharaoh let the people go. The, the people, I, w I was going to say the people go, but I don't want to be like too on the nose. <laughs> <laughs> so, some of the astounding new archaeological evidence is so, this idea is that God in this tenth plague, the final plague, takes all the firstborn males mm -hmm. in Egypt. And that a lot of people do not know this, but that's where Passover comes from. Because what God told the Israelites, mm -hmm. or Hebrews as they were then known as, was to put a mark on their doors, right. door frame, identifying themselves as, you know, Hebrews, 
and God would pass over their house. Just wonderfully explained, I guess, visually in the Ten Commandments movie. The the movie nails it 100%. We'll talk about that in a little bit. I mean, if you want to see this, I don't care. The 1956 (laughs) movie is still the best. Um, But that's where Passover comes from, passing over the house. Now, we go back to Lake Nyos. 1,500. No, it was more than that. 1,750 people died. Mm -hmm. Many of them children. And what they found, unbelievably enough... Which is insane. Insane. Is that the people in the lower lands and people sleeping on the floor and children, especially and older people, Mm -hmm. were the ones who died because the gas finally escapes from this lake. Right. As a mist, you can see that in the Ten Commandments. Yes. As a mist, and it's this gas mist that mist that kills everyone. Um, It did so in 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 Nios. In in Nios, but in in these more like biblical times, there was this like like the firstborn son had a place of honor, Mm -hmm. right? Um, Which meant in most homes he got a bed. And everyone else would sleep like on the roof or in a loft, like you know, more communally, not a bed, not as comfortable, right? So when this mist came through, this carbon monoxide gas poisoned everyone. The only people low enough to be impacted by it were, were like you said, people sleeping on the floor in a bed or whatever. Yeah. But the vast majority of those people were the firstborns. Firstborn sons. If that doesn't shake your shorts, I don't know right. what does. I mean, it, it's it's one of those like it, it, it's amazing, and I think it becomes even more interesting like when you look at it through like a historical scientific lens. But it's like a series of unfortunate events mm-hmm. that are either literally occurred, like the story is being told, right. or being used to tell a story, right? right? But it just works so fluidly. And it's so strange to me that you can document other instances of the exact same thing. From 40 years ago. Right. Like, not even that long ago. And they even talked about people... I guess in in Nios, they had people who tended the garden or a flock or something at night. The people standing up weren't affected. Right. So the idea is also with the Israelites... So the night that this happens, the Israelites all decide to have dinner, sitting up all night and not sleeping before they leave the next morning, the night of unleavened bread. So they're all sitting up so none of them freaking die. Which is, I don't know, a crazy coincidence, I guess, right? Well, and, and, and with due respect, the fact that all of these would happen serendipitously chronologically but there's I'm willing to believe that that is possible yes that it's possible and that the chronology of these plagues fits the modern day precedence for the same kind of not nearly as massive of an event a minor event that affected a smaller community yeah Think of this global... Isolated. Yeah, think of this global incident. You know, they say that, that you know, um, 
the Manoan eruption changed the world. Right. Ecologically. Yeah. And people moved. Yeah, right. So, you know, that kind of explanation for potentially why the firstborn of Egypt, we go back to Akmosis. If, if Akmosis was the pharaoh, in 1500 instead of Ramsey they dug him up in the, dug him up he was they were all buried these were not important pharaohs in the in the basement of the of the the Cairo museum mm-hmm. stuck under like paperwork and paper bags so they dig these mummies up his son died at 12 yeah which also reminds me when they've done excavations in 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 that in that city they go through like layers of, of like the graves or like even like mass graves and it's always men and women except for this explosion and it suddenly becomes a layer of young men wow wow which, which is like like there, there's I, I don't know like we, we, we've seen it happen in modern times and in the historical record just kind of like supports it yeah so our last course is, if you would like to grab it, sure. Our last course is lamb, only because, regardless of the reason that these young men died, and we're talking about children, you know, sinless children. forgot a course okay we'll get back to that so let's do the lamb because they were lamb. let's go ahead and get it all out here um they were the lamb uh they were children uh ultimately they were they were children so we have some really hopefully is the oven still on or should you turn it off i should is it off it looks like it's off yeah, we kind of forgot a course that is a combination of another course, and we did forget about it. But so we'll come back to that. Oh my goodness! Look at the look at the is it perfect? lamb. Oh my god! Thank God. It's perfect for me, but there's no way it's too pink for its side. Yeah, right. I don't know if that's weak. Mm. Is that too pink for you? No, it's perfect. Mm. Mm. Mine the other day was probably more. <laughs> I knew it from 125 at rested to 130. That's mm. what I was like, it's, yeah. Mm. And that's when it tastes the best. Mm. Oh my god. Oh my god. I'll tell you what. I like a lot of meat, but man, lamb is good. And I could be wrong. I don't know if I mentioned this to you if I, I was talking to, to Stephen about it. But I was like, I'm pretty sure lamb is the most popular meat in the world. Like, everyone else eats it but us. Right, that's true. That's absolutely true. And because so many cultures come from shepherding mm-hmm. cultures. But because I mean, those are those are migrant cultures. You can't take lamb through, uh, cows no. through the, yeah, yeah. Mm. I mean, it's just, it's a good meat. It is a good meat. You should see our plates now. It's, they're it's piled with bones and... Embarrassing. Crawfish heads and this is gluttony, Lord. <laughs> this is much more Roman <laughs> than Egyptian, isn't it? Mm-hmm. So, 
we just did lice more or less with the crayfish. Um, number five is flies or wild animals. Mm. So the wild animals began to attack. Only makes sense again. They're just being uprooted. Chaos. What animals do when they're in chaos. So we have here, believe it or not, we have some wild boar. Truly wild boar. Truly wild boar. That we're going to try. I'm going to try. Probably get trichinosis. It's fine. It's cooked. We cooked this. I cooked this pretty well. (laughs) A little gamey. Not too much. Mm-mm. I guess I was expecting it to taste like a pork chop or something, and I don't really get that. I don't know. Do you? It tastes like. It, it, it tastes like fucking shellfish. I don't know what's <laughs> going on. No. <laughs> tastes to me a little like elk or bison. Mm-hmm. There is a wildness to it. I'll tell. I'll, I'll put it this way. There's a wildness to it that's not gamey. Yeah, yeah. You know that, what I mean? It's I agree not, with that. Gamey's not necessarily a great taste. Mm-hmm. The, this is a wild taste without gaminess. Like it's good. It's just it's just different. I guess I had a preconceived notion. I didn't have any idea what wild pork would taste like. I just assumed it tastes like pork. That's a good deduction. (laughs) I can't eat another thing. We have just eaten through the ten plagues. Honestly, as only we would do, right? Only we would do. I mean, we talked again, you know, why we're bringing attention to this is just, it's such a ubiquitous story, whether you're religious or not. And it's become particularly we discussed this a little bit earlier in the episode, you know, ubiquitous with the African American community. You know, right. it's a ultimately it's a story of liberation. It's a story of the slave escaping, the slave being freed. And it's just had such resonance, which is, you know, incredible. It's had resonance way beyond just an old testament story. Mm-hmm. You know, Martin Luther King. And so, you know, they get through the Red Sea, they get past that, they get to Mount Sinai, Moses reveals the Ten Commandments, God has revealed to him. In the meantime, they've all started worshiping golden calves, Moses throws the commandments down and crushes it. Supposedly the Ark of the Covenant's made, no one knows where that is, but ultimately the great finish to Moses' life is that God said, you know, you'll lead these people, but you will never make it into the promised land, right. which was Israel. And, you know, and that, of course, that famous Martin Luther King, I mean, it's a, it's an allusion exactly to that. I, I, you know, I'm here with you on the mountaintop. I may not get there yeah. to the promised land. Yeah. Um, so this, this story has such resonance and it's, it's really fascinating to me that, that not only is it number one, of course, we hear the story again every year because of Passover. But number two, it's gone way beyond a Jewish religion, religious celebration. The story has such resonance with so many oppressed communities. 
and um, it's kind of an aspiring story. And then to, to find out that there may well be some some truth to the actual events. Some truth to the actual events. I don't know. I I, I find it fascinating, and it's like I, I guess I want to believe. Mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah, but at very least acknowledge that. Wowee, there is something that happened that could. Yeah. Not stretching it. Yeah, like you don't have to. Like you, you don't have to fabricate it. Like we we have a literal documented modern example. Like people alive could have been there. Example. Yes. Of the same. Every thing. single plague that happened. That's fascinating. It's absolutely fascinating to me. <laughs> Like, how many times can you say this, like, supernatural event, right? That, like, really, like, shaped world history. Yes, of okay, course. Can be replicated. And it's like, you can even, like, get the mundane supernatural event replicated. Replicated and documented. Right. I encourage you all, go look up the, the Lake <laughs> Nios disaster. Lake NYOS, Cameroon. Look it up. Look at the pictures of the Red Sea, of, of the, yeah. the, 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 the lake turning to blood. Look at the interviews. There's one family that's interviewed that 53 out of 56 family members died. Wow. Just crazy. Yeah, it is. And just crazy is what we love. It's true. (laughs) Well, and to be completely honest, let's be completely honest. You know, I think I brought up doing this episode, oh, Jesus, February or something. Something, yeah. Because of its paranormal attributes and fascination with that. I had no idea this was lurking. I had never heard of the right. Minoan eruption. I didn't hear about Lake Nios. We completely stumbled on this. I didn't know about any of this. I thought we were going to be talking about, you know, um, the Kentucky meat shower and when, you know, snakes yeah, fell from the, right. or frogs fell from the sky. You know, that sort of weird one-off sort of thing. Um, or individually, yes, this lake turned red. And yes, these frogs fell. Not in one place. Right. We haven't even brought up the fact that this may well be the beginning of the myth of Atlantis. Or the truth of Atlantis. the truth of. Because the island of Thera collapsed into the ocean. So not only is this probably the, 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 the cause of the ten plagues, it's also the cause of, whether it's real or not, Atlantis. Atlantis. That's what a cat- cataclysmic global event this was. You know, it's an event that happened that a story has been added to. Correct. Right. Correct. And so, you know, Atl- Atlantis could have been a really advanced city, yeah. right? Or really well, and they big... even talk about the city at the time because there's, I guess, a part of it that didn't go down and they've ex- excavated that. Mm-hmm. They had three and four story buildings. It was really the Minoan, it was the end of the Minoan civilization, really, and they were quite advanced. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, I think it's possible, like, I I don't know, but I I think, as with most, like, myths and folklore, like, they just get built up over time into something that is beyond, sometimes far beyond what actually happened. But what's so incredible is, if we think about it, Something that happened 3,500 years ago. Whether it's through the 1956 film, whether it's through whatever, 
We all know about it. Yeah, we're still talking about it. We're still talking about it. They didn't have TV, news, nothing. And we're still talking about it. That's the power of myth and culture and oral tradition. That's the power of a story. The power of a story, indeed. And that story continues to change and re-inspire new generations in our own times. The American Jewish World Service offers this new interpretation of the plagues. They write, As we read the ten plagues, we spill drops of wine from our cups, mourning the suffering the Egyptians endured so that we could be free. This year, as these drops spread across our plates, let us turn our hearts toward the millions of people around the world suffering today's plagues of hatred, prejudice, baseless violence, and war. Blood. We comfort and mourn those whose blood has been spilled. Frogs. We protest the proliferation of violence. Lice. We stop infestations of hatred and fear. Wild animals. We appeal to all people to act with humanity. Pestilence. We overcome the sickness of racism and bigotry. Boils. We tend to those who suffer from disease. Hail. We respond to storms and disasters that claim lives. Locusts. We fill the air with voices for change. Darkness. We bring light to those who live in the shadows. Death of the firstborn. We inspire the next generation to carry on the struggle for a better world. May it be so. Amen. This show was created and produced by me, Shane McClelland, and Lori Gum. Until next time, friends. Be weird. Stay curious. These are the Q-Files. Q-Files.